I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, dear listener, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to episode number three of The Pursuit Pod. I'm Lauren Wood, and this is where I hold discussions with artists who have travelled abroad in their pursuit of career fulfilment, and then somehow work out how to turn it into a podcast and share it with you. So far on this series, I've played it pretty safe with arranging interviews that felt achievable and, well, like an easy place to start on my journey as a host. But this week, I made the decision to start casting the net a little wider. So... I've put my money where my mouth is, folks, and I have finally contacted some of the wonderful creatives that have been on my radar for a really long time. And, well, honestly, to say that I have felt humbled by the response would be an understatement. And first off the bat, seeing as though he was the most enthusiastic and that he has quickly become my new favourite person, with a zest for life and genuine earnest towards making meaningful connections with everyone he works with, we are talking with the ever-endearing Chris Fong. In this discussion, we reflect on Chris's journey of moving to London after what some would say has already been a pretty interesting career back in Oz. We discuss why he felt the need to move and how the topic of race in Australian casting weighs on decisions such as his. But also, how sheer luck or perhaps perceived luck, has played a part in his career trajectory. It was an absolute honour to get to spend this time with Chris, and I hope that you, as the listener, also come away from this interview feeling like you have attended a masterclass with someone who is a genuine example of how kindness and generosity of spirit will serve you, not only as a human, but as a backbone for a truly fulfilling career. So, without further ado, let's get to it. Chris to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. Happy to be here, Lauren. Do you know, Chris, I'm just so humbled to have you on here and actually shocked at how quickly we have connected because you are someone that has been on my radar as someone I should contact over here for literally close to three years now. I don't know why it's taken me so long, but, you know, I think I went through a really weird anxious phase when I first moved over here I was moving with all of the best of intentions to be this new motivated version of myself and just as life started piling itself on top of me I found that I actually became quite self-centered and a bit reclusive which is not great for networking especially in a new country and you know I've I've, I've got the few handful of friends that I I do really stay in touch with. I've got one mate, Liz, back home who's been in my life for a really long time and she actually started a a podcast herself since I've moved over here. It's called The Ghosts of Boyfriends Past. Shout out to them. And um, (laughs) I know it's ominous. It's juicy. I love it. Uh, And I love it for the content, but also I just listen to it to hear her voice. I've discovered that I have this weird like psychological response to just having my friend's voice in my ears in my ears once a week so I guess that was part of what spurred me on to make this podcast as well um because it it's been a regular reminder to me that I do want to connect with people and whilst I'm literally on lockdown that want has finally manifested itself into something useful and and now to reaching out to you so thank you so much for just being so so welcoming 
Yeah, my pleasure. Um, about about putting pressure on yourself to you know start the move and get going and, and beating yourself up for the three years. Don't don't worry about it. The, the, a move and and finding your own your own um, your own identity again is hugely traumatic in any period actually of, of great transformation. Which which was you got to find out who you are. You got to figure out if you're going to be an artist. You're going to figure out how to make money. You got to figure out where to live and what your relationships going to look like. And there's so much. There's so many questions there that. That, that I think require you to be selfish. Don't don't beat yourself up for that. Um, selfishness is is good. It's important. You got to look after yourself. Otherwise, how can you how can you do other things? Don't don't worry too much. Like yeah, don't beat yourself up. Is what I want to say. Absolutely. <laughs> in the famous words, in the famous words of uh, Sir RuPaul Charles, if you can't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? There we go. <laughs> Thank you, RuPaul. Um, but yeah, as you know, uh, this podcast is all about delving into people's stories of traveling and pursuing creative work. But uh, these adventures generally start way back before we have even stepped foot on a plane or, or wherever we are headed. So where does your story start, Chris? So I'm a musical theatre performer and a singing teacher. I've got four uni degrees. Um, I moved here um, from Australia to London in 2018. And since then, I've been very lucky to have had um, a lot of opportunity to perform. Well, I mean, it's, it's a lot for me. Maybe it's not a lot for other people. Um, uh, my, very first, my very first job, I suppose, was as a supernumerary, an extra for the National Theatre. And then after that, I got into Evita at Regent's Park, which was nominated for two Olivier Awards. Right after that, I was invited. Uh, I auditioned for, I got into Cyrano de Bergerac, which was at the Playhouse Theatre with James McAvoy, which was nominated for five Olivier Awards, winning a couple. And um, then I was, then, you know, coronavirus hit. And before coronavirus hit, I was invited to, to, to the West End transfer to the Barbican Centre for Evita. And we had a New York transfer for Cyrano planned. And uh, we did the National Theatre thing. And in, uh, hopefully, in a couple of months, I'll be joining the company of Frozen. And uh, since then, since 2018, I've been running my singing teaching business uh, on, where, I, where I generally teach people who've gone to, to three-year drama schools and want to work specifically on their singing technique. So, you know, I've met a whole bunch of really fun people and, um, and, and certainly the, the, rate, the, rate of, the rate of work and the rate of, the rate of doing stuff has been so much higher than in Australia. Oh yeah, before, um, before 2018, my last job was in The King and I in 2013, question mark? 2013, yeah. Um, where <laughs> that was my first job. Um, so, you know, I, I went to the Queensland Con just like you did. We did, a, it's normally a three-year course, but at the end of my second year, I auditioned for and got into uh, the, the Opera Australia National Tour of the King and I as ensemble and understudy to the King. And I did that with Vivian, Vivian Isabella, beautiful Vivian, um, who was ensemble and understudy top Tim. So we, you know, we were, the, we were the first two people from the con to get jobs. Um, and, and yeah, sorry, off you go. I mean, <clears throat> I mean that that's that's pretty mind blowing for those who have gone through a course and can empathize with the journey you have to take to get through the three years of that. I mean, to see yourself receiving a job of that caliber after only two years of that Completely study and nuts. I guess then having to handle it interrupting your study can you tell me a little bit about that oh yeah it was just, yeah <laughs> I spent the entire time with my eyes wide open going wow what am I doing here what, don't they realize how much of an idiot I am what are you doing what are you doing Carson <laughs> no um yeah, it's completely nuts. Like it, it wasn't. It wasn't just us. Like I was. The, we were the first of many. Right after. Right on the back of that. Um, Lachlan Neat. Shout out to Lachlan Neat, who's right now is a professional Viking. Um, he got into once as he's a multi instrumentalist. Plays like ten different instruments, primarily as a drummer. But uh, he got into once as ensemble and super swing. He was covering like a bajillion different roles. Um, but yeah, that. So that feels. So what happened? So I finished my my second year full time, and instead of my third year. Um, I, I had partial credit for my uh, for the for the tour for the national tour of the King and I, and I also had to fill in a whole bunch of other gaps that um, Paul Savy and Scott Harrison uh, Paul Savy the director of our course and, and Scott Harrison is the director of the university 
um, they, they negotiated with me a whole bunch of other hoops that I could jump through. So I found, I, I took singing lessons with experts in Sydney, people who were also lecturers at other university, uh, at other music theater programs. I, um, I hired a private, I, I had private dance lessons and we would film them and send them off to be marked for assessments. Whenever the, uh, whenever the course would travel down to Sydney for showcase style things, um, I would, uh, I'd tie in my assessments. So I had song assessments with, with Penny Farrow, who was directing the, um, the, the Sydney showcase at the time. So lots of little things like that, and they were, they were fantastic about allowing me to, to find other options of graduating um, with, my, with my degree anyways, um, which was extraordinary. And do, do you ever feel fully baked? Did I feel, did I feel like I was you know, catching up? For, absolutely, yeah. You, you're making stuff up as you go. But yeah, what a rush, eh, to have a job before you finish. And I guess, <clears throat> I, I guess there's something there in that final year of study that you've, I mean, other than the job, of course, and the experience that comes with that, but in that final year, you've what you've actually done, by the sounds of it, is learnt how to hustle. Is really learnt how to make make it work for yourself, and especially around the restrictions of being in a show or having to, you know, complete the course to achieve what you wanted. But outside of the confines of the actual con in Queensland, um, I guess learning to hone those skills of how to hustle, it's going to put you in good stead for for your next leg of the journey. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. Um, yes, yes, I believe so. Um, I remember, well, going back to finish my degree was never really a question. One, because uh, my, my parents have always treat, you know, trained me to, to really enjoy a piece of paper. But I also promised, I promised our choreographer, Susan Kikuchi. Like, so Jerome Robbins is the guy who choreographed the original uh, King and I, the, the, the dream ballet, the, this, this beautiful sequence, Uncle Tom's Ballet. And Susan Kikuchi is one of only like a handful of people um, worldwide who's licensed to teach that choreography because she, she was in the original production herself and she grew up, was a dance captain and then became his associate and all this kind of jazz. And she, in the audition, I remember, Susan Kucci asked me, she said, hey, so you haven't finished your degree yet. If you did get this show, this is in the final rounds of auditions, so if you did get the show, would you promise me that you would go back and finish your degree? And uh, like, it, it was no brain for me. Yeah, absolutely, heck yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, why would I not? Uh, there's so much for me to learn and I'm still such an idiot and, um, and that, 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 I think that vibe more than anything else. There's those moments of personality in the audition room where they get to figure out what you're, what you're, what you're going to be like as a company member. I used to dismiss that. I used to dismiss that as important. So when, like, you know, you have an audition, they they, they say, "Hey, hey, how are you doing?" or some variation on that. And my 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 thought process was always, "Shut up, just I'm good, I'm good. Let me sing." <laughs> and now, now I realize that it is a, um, it, it's super super important. Uh, that, that you're a human and that you're able to respond in some kind of human way. And so those conversations. Because they're not just auditioning to see that you have the skills for the role, but they're looking for someone who they they're going to want to work with. Yeah, I thought they were. I really believe that they were. And it's really taken the past couple of years for me to, and actual, actual conversations with, with the people who've cast me uh, to, to realize that that's not the case. Um, in, in Cyrano, so uh, Cyrano is a play, it's a straight play, and the Jamie Lloyd Company is one of the, one of the most prolific and, and, and celebrated uh, companies here in the West End. And Jamie Lloyd, the, the, the big boy director guy, he, had, um, he ran Evita, which is uh, Evita at the Regent's Park. Uh, we, it was only like a four or five month uh, engagement, but it has a reputation that is similar to, though slightly larger than, in my, in my humble opinion, than the, the Hayes Theatre in Sydney. They do experimental mm. things. It's kind of like a playground. You kind of go there. You're not paid the best rates, right? But, but the, quality of the, the quality of the jobs, and, it, and it's, all, it's all short, and you're in, the, you're in the open air. So you've got forest. You've got a background. And if it rains, it rains on you, right? And we did a Vita, and it was, and it was extraordinary, an extraordinary run, and I'm, I'm surrounded by all these West End... Uh, by all these guys who have careers much, much larger than me, and they're all doing the, the big commercial shows, you know, Aladdin, Hamilton, everything. And then I get this audition for, for Cyrano come through, and Cyrano's a straight play, and it's at the Playhouse Theatre. And um, I remember getting the, the call from my agent going, hey, you got this Cyrano, I know we're jumping around a bit, well, you got this Cyrano thing, yeah, and fine. I said, that's, you know, that's, that's phenomenal, that's, that's great. That, that's, I, get a, I get to work with Jamie Lloyd again. Why am I here again? Because I'm a musical theater guy, I get to do a play. And, and my agent Charlotte said, do you have any idea how, how, uh, how big a thing this is? This is something that, that means that you could, do, you could do lots of things now. We thought that I'd have to do a whole bunch of UK tours and things before I got, a, uh, before I got to do these West End shows and other plays. 
And I said, no, I got, I got no idea. She said she's got, she's, she's got people on her books who have, you know, ten years of of national theater and ten years of RSC and all this stuff about straight plays couldn't get in the room. And I was invited to. I was asked by Jamie Lloyd, like, if if I if I was free. If, so I asked him in rehearsals, Jamie, what the heck are you doing? I was a little bit more polite. <laughs> why am I here? Like, why am I here? Like, this is, you know, a little little bit in rehearsals. Everyone else is fantastic. What am I doing here? How did how did he even get in contact with you in the first place? Well, he was the he was the director for Evita, my previous contract. Oh, so Evita was before Cyrano. Cyrano, directly before. Ah, uh, okay, okay. Like, I'm we closed on the Saturday. We closed on a Saturday. On the Sunday, I got the availability check come through, and I was auditioning for him on Tuesday. Okay, like, this makes sense now. I've got the timeline sorted in my head now. Yeah, yeah, I'm a bad, I'm a bad. No, 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 no. That's again. fine. That's fine. It's but that thing. makes sense now <laughs> that you've had that you had this connection with Jamie from Avita, and that that's that's because Cyrano was far more experimental and devised, was it not? Heck yeah. Yeah. So I asked him, yeah, like, oh, what am I doing in this? This that rehearsal room was so cool. <laughs> it was like. It was, you You could not say anything for the eight hours you were there in the rehearsal, and yet you were, you were undeniably part of the fabric of that ensemble feel. We had, um, uh, we had movement calls where we would, we would do grid work and we'd play these silly drama games, and it was all about, and, and we'd, we'd experiment with the script. And, you know, I ask, so, you know, back to the story, I ask, Jamie Lloyd, what am I doing here? Because... I'm looking around the room and everyone else is so much more, if empathy is a skill, these guys have so much more empathy and imagination than I do. And I'm from a musical theater background and, and, I'm, 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 and I'm really, really new to my career. And what am I, and he says, you're here because you're here because you've got the skills, but also because you're a fantastic, you're, you're a fantastic ensemble member and you're, you're, you're a fantastic person. Um, and, and there are a couple of times where I embarrassed myself in the Avita room by, by just trying to just trying to do things like uh, if you, th- that Avita rehearsal was that workshop feel. I've never been in a setting that had that much pressure. I'm still I'm still a small fish, but there were we were revitalizing an Andrew Lloyd Webber classic. Avita is generally known as a stand and singer, park and bark, <laughs> and we had we we introduced flaming tennis balls and and uh, and dancing was all the way through it and everybody danced and it was gritty and sexual and 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 we had ribbons crossing and it was so experimental we'd we'd come in it's a kind of place where you'd be expected to learn choreography for one day and then go home and practice perfect it then the next day they'll say hey we scrapped it all but are we going to keep this 30 second bit and remember that bit that we did two weeks ago. We're gonna do that, except I want you to do it on your left, on your left now. And now this bit is gonna be a solo taken by this person. Okay, you got all that. Here we go. Five, six, off we go. Da da. Um, wow. And there were there were just so many times where you just have to give. You just have to give. Like, uh, and there's so much pressure on the creative team. They they didn't they never said anything, but you could feel it. You could feel it in the air. And every day uh, they would record what we had done for that day and we knew that it was getting sent off to the Andrew Lloyd Webber people to approve or disprove these ideas. They, they were very much involved, um, especially towards the later stages of our workshop stuff. And I remember so many times just, uh, it, and this is gonna sound trite, right? But uh, we had we had like ribbons across the stage during one of the, during one of the numbers for our Vita run and um, the ribbon tore, so it, it, it tore. And, and this person was just kind of trailing this thing. And, and our Ava, our, our fantastic Sam Pauly, was supposed to cut it and she couldn't cut anything because it tore. So I really quickly realized, and we were filming this and, and everyone's tired and everyone's kind of like on edge. And I realized that in my track, I don't have to do anything for the next bit. So I don't know what, what I did. I awkwardly broke from my position, picked up the ribbon and kind of like held it for Sam Pauly to, to cut. And, I like the embodiment then, of this story for our listeners who can't see Chris <laughs> holding the invisible ribbon above his head and and turning his head away from it as if if, if he if if he can't see the audience then they can't see him. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's kind of it, it's it sounds kind of trite, but then, but then to break from the to break from the expectations to so, just so that you can facilitate that. Like, I thought that I was doing it. I didn't know I was going to do a stupid shit. I was going to, I was just trying to help out. And then, you know, Sam Pauly goes upstage to get the next ribbon. The next ribbon breaks too. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so I, you know, I run back in. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, doing stupid things like that. Or what, to Jamie Lloyd, this powerful director guy, he was really cool. 
Um, being a company member is one of the first and foremost things that he cares about. Um, uh, well, I mean, you got to have you got to have the skills, you got to have the, the technical abilities too, but the ability to give and to think and to 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 jazz things up and to 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 make offers and to to I, I guess the the term sacrifice to give to the company. What does that mean? What capacity do you have to give to the company? How can you stay active without saying a word for twelve hours? Mm. Or, well, you know, I'm taking numbers out of my butt now, but <laughs> how can you, if you've got these like ridiculously long rehearsal days, how can you maintain like positive energy all the way throughout? I'm kind of going off on it. No, I love that. I think it's, it's so important to remember that lasting impression that you leave on people and you can, you can look the part, you can fit the bill in, in every way possible. But at the end of the day, if you are not someone who leaves an impact on the people that you are working with, then you're only doing half the job and you're only getting half of what you can out of the experience as well. I think so. I th- you know, that's not the first time that that happened to me. That that's pretty much ha- right like that that happened for the Frozen auditions as well. Um oh, well, like Frozen was auditioning like a year before they were supposed to start. They auditioned in um in September of 20 2018. They were started of their auditions. Wow. And they were originally supposed to start uh the the production production was originally supposed to start in um, November of uh, 2020. Yeah. So it was a year in advance, a year and a bit in advance. And, and, and some people had gone through like... That, so that would sorry, have been... Sorry, hon. That, so that would have been the year that you moved over here, right? 2018? Yes. Yeah. Yep. So you, yep. you're, within yeah. months of moving over there, that audition had come about. I got about. a job. Yeah, what in the heck? What in the heck? No, well, sorry. I, I, I had a job with... Um, I, I had a job with, um, with, with Avita. Yeah. And I was, uh, and I, I had the chance to audition for this Frozen thing, and they, they saw a whole bunch of our Avita cast. And um, I, I, I tell that story because who you are as a human does matter. The, the, uh, the, the Broadway, uh, the Broadway dance associate who had, who had um, helped to design all of it was a Londoner. She came over and she was helping run the auditions, and and they, they had thought a lot of rounds for this, for this Frozen, for this Frozen audition. Some people had like ten rounds. I, I was lucky; only had like six or seven rounds. And then in one of the later rounds of the of the dance call, she just kind of pulls me aside and says, "Hey, Chris, had dinner with Jamie Lloyd uh, last night, and, and I told him about this stupid thing that you did and and how much you made us laugh. And I just wanted to say that he loves he loves you. That guy that guy really loves you." Um, and and then she went off on her way and was a little bit of a pick me up. Um, and and that kind of I feel I feel really humbled. I feel really humbled by how much Jamie Lloyd has given, um, given me specifically. Um, but also how much he gives to the to the rest of the community as well. That man's generosity and his artistic spirit is ridiculous. Um, we had so Cyrano was the hottest ticket in town for for when we were in the West End. We're the hottest ticket in town. We're in the Playhouse, which has about 800, 800 seats, something like that. And we've got James McAvoy. We've got like lines around the block, and everyone's like, "You're gonna win the Olivia." We didn't win the. We won. We won like best play or something. We won. We won a couple of the little ones. We didn't win like best actor. We didn't win best. It doesn't matter. I, um, I'm not bitter. I I saw one of your posts yesterday when I was doing some cheeky research of what you've been up to, and I, I loved uh, one of my favorite posts of yours was just a picture of the sold out sign out the front of the theater. <laughs> you talking about how that was like the highlight of your day every day when you got oh, to cool. come in and just see that sold out sign out the front. Every day. Every day. But, right, rather than maximize his money, for every show, actually across the entire season, Jamie Lloyd gave away 20,000 seats. 20,000 seats for the entire year. He's got, he's got James McAvoy for us for three months, and then he's got Amelia Clark, and he's got Jessica Chastain headlining the next couple of plays, right? He's giving away 20,000 seats to, to people from, uh, from, from communities who don't traditionally have, so low socioeconomic communities who don't traditionally get access to the theater. Not only that, not only is he giving away free tickets, he's got low price tickets um, for, for people to line up for, so for university students, 15 pounds, which is unheard of for a, for a show like this. Um, and he, um, he paid for the travel of these low socioeconomic um, kids, people who may, might never have seen a Western show before, paid for their travel, gave them a free seat. 
right? He sent out, he had this program where he would send out, um, and I was part of it, it's a creative learning team. He would send us out to schools and drama schools and, um, and pupil referral units, which are schools uh, for, for students who've been excluded from, from, like, who've been expelled from other schools because of the constellation of uh, behavioral issues and learning issues. And our job was to run these workshops, which gave them a, gave them a, a feeling of what, of what being in a West End rehearsal room was. For free, for free. Jake, like that man's heart is ridiculous. Who does that? It was, it was a first for the West End, for someone to have a program as, as vast as that, uh, with a position of being an industry leader, um, specifically so that um, people get to experience get to experience the arts. Well, there was a, in Cerno, one of the key catchphrases were, was, I love words, that's all. And arising from that is, this, uh, is a slogan that they had for, uh, throughout the charity season of theater is for everyone. And Jamie Lloyd put his money where his mouth is. He could have made so much more money just by selling. Like we had, we had people paying like four hundred pounds for 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 for, for, t- for tickets. That's you know eight hundred dollars, nine hundred dollars Australian. I know. I still do that like conversion this. in my head as well. <laughs> 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 but yeah, Jamie Lloyd is he's a he's a really he's a really inspiring guy, and he's super young too, and he's done a lot of work with. He he worked with. Uh, did you get to work with John Clark at all? Yeah, I actually, I worked for John Clark. I taught for him out at Redlands at his at studio Redlands, for a yeah, bit before yeah, yeah. I moved over here. But yeah, I learned from John he at the He worked con. with John Clark. Yeah. He worked with John Clark uh, um, when he was the associate for Michael Grandage uh, when they did uh, when they did Evita. Um, and John Clark, there's a, there's a clip of him being a dance captain performing at the Olivier Awards. Um, he's what he, he did Guys and Dolls when he came out to Australia. It's a, such a tiny world. It is a small uh, he also, He's also worked with Lisa McCune, who is someone who I've got a great deal of. It's Lisa McCune's birthday today. Oh, Did you know that? Happy birthday, Lisa McCune. <laughs> happy birthday, Lisa McCune. In, so much like, love for that lady too. Aussie actress on Blue Healers, Lisa McCune. <laughs> yeah, as in my Anna in King and I, uh, Lisa McCune as well. Oh, wow. Did you know that? She was she played my Lana, Anna, my Lana, my Anna Leon Owens. Uh, King and I was a massive contract. It was beautiful. Oh. And you know, much of it was beautiful because of how stunning Lisa was in that role. Um, I understudied three kings for that for that gig. It was um, Teddy Tahu Rhodes, who who had the Brisbane and the uh, Brisbane and the Sydney season, and then I had uh, I had Jason Scott Lee for the Melbourne season. But Jason Scott Lee tore his calf muscle in his sixth preview, and so Oof. I got to go on for three weeks straight. Um, and then after that, they hired uh, Lou Diamond Phillips, who was one in Olivier for the role. Uh, from America to come and take over the rest of our Melbourne season, which was, you know, really stunning. Wow, yeah, that was like, what a, what a... that's like a personalized, it's almost just like a personalized workshop just for you, getting to work under really all is. of those amazing talents. Yeah, for sure. You have to, you can't be an idiot, you know? If you've got people who are working at that standard, they kind of pull you up by their professionalism too, because you think to yourself, how can I, how can I do any less than give everything I possibly can to this moment? If you see their commitment, if you see their dedication, it was stunning, mm. stunning, absolutely stunning. I, for sure, I was a much better actor after that contract than before. For, and that company, what a beautiful, extraordinary company. We're all super young. There are lots of, like, you know, 80% of us had our first job. Um, they're all dancers. Primarily, the cast is full of dancers. There are only, um, I'm, I classify myself, I suppose, as an actor-singer who can move. And there are very, very few jobs for actor-singers. Actor-singer tracks are generally... Um, you're you're you are a, you're an understudy or you're a swing, and there happen to be you know like three or four per, per cast of uh, of thirty generally. I'm talking very very generally now. So I was really I don't like I still feel why the heck did I get this job in King and I and and I still feel that feeling of why the heck did I get into the con? I I don't feel like I should have gotten into the con. I still I remember what that felt like to go through that audition. And are you sure you want me, Paul Sabi? What is wrong with you? Why do you want? I'm not going to say no, but why do you want me? You silly man. But, you know, kind of, he knows what he's doing. Paul Sabi is a genius for a reason. And you know what? Like, I'm not a religious person, but I, I like to believe that things happen for a reason. I think it's nice to have that little bit of faith in, in something bigger than yourself as far, when you're a performer anyway, and you're putting yourself out there so often, and you are just hoping on opportunities that are going to propel your career in ways that you maybe couldn't do otherwise. I think, I think I don't know, it's nice to think that some things happen for a reason, definitely. I like that idea. Um, for me, you know, I, 
I, I, I classify myself as a Catholic, as a Christian. And even if you don't, I think that the idea of, of working for something bigger than yourself, community, and certainly my, my interpretation of Christianity is rooted in community and relationships, like working for the team instead of just yourself, um, making sure that I think that that's rooted in my understanding of, of what makes a good ensemble, what makes a good show. What is, what is, Jamie Lloyd talks about invisible strings, invisible strings that lie between two people and they don't have to be formed by like direct eye contact. You can sometimes feel, and it's, it's a connection, I don't know, like I interpret it as a connection between hearts. Um, if I do something here and if you notice it, if you pay close enough attention, it'll affect you there these invisible strings. And you can either have a company which have really strongly made invisible strings, a good company feel, or you can not. And it depends a great deal on how on how that feeling is, is allowed to foster. Um, and it depends on the material of the show as well. Um, one of the, I hope you get, you, I hope you, Lauren, get an opportunity to watch our Cerno, our Cerno NT Live um, cast. I know that we're gonna, there, there were plans to release it in Australian cinemas uh, before lockdown. And I know that there, there, there are plans to release it on the NT Live stuff where you can pay a subscription and watch our, watch our shows. But um, Incredible, that... incredible catalogue of resources, that NT Live stuff. I remember in the early days yeah. of moving over here in London, I found out about the National Theatre Archives uh, in yeah, Southwark. Yeah. And my husband's yeah. a librarian, so he, he loves all oh. things to do with cataloguing and archives and things like that. So I managed to drag him along with me one day. We went and booked a computer in the archives and watched, Yeah. what was it? Um, it was a Billy Piper play, um, yeah. Yerma, I watched with okay. with headphones in front of a big Apple computer. Mac, in, big Mac. In the National Theatre Did you get the boxes? Did you get the, uh, did you get the costume Bibles and the choreography and the fight combat notes and the, 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 did you order everything? No, I didn't. I just watched the show. I didn't know you could do that. You can, if you want. I. The National Theatre Archive—it's—they got a free mandate. I don't know if—I don't know whether the, the recent paid model is going to affect it, but you get as part of it's part—they have a mandate to make the uh, make all of their uh, their resources free to the public, free to anyone who asks. And I've got no idea why it's not more subscribed because I lived there in the first six months that I came to the United Kingdom. And you can—you order a week in advance, and if you want, you can ask for—you can ask for these things. You can ask for the stage management, um, the stage management report. You can ask for the the costume bible. You can ask for the the stage fight uh, manuals. You can ask for their. Uh, sometimes you get casting emails, right? Casting emails. You can, uh, and on top of that, the the cherry of the cake is. Um, you can ask for the opening night performance of any show um, that the National Theatre has had a hand in producing since the 1970s when they were when they when they were first produced. And the fantastic thing is, you can spend for free, right? By, for free, for free. You can you can spend your time chasing or following the careers of your favorite actors uh, and your favorite playwrights, and you can watch all the things that you want, and you can see the world the world's best go about their business and. No one knows about it. When I turn up, like there are there are so many free computers. I know. It's it's I and think it's nuts. I think it's this yeah, it's the absolute biggest hidden gem in 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 Southwark there. It's my it's so biggest good. advice to anyone when they move over here, especially if they're in that early stages of just emailing agents or, you know, applying for auditions when you feel like you're just plugging away and maybe don't have much of a life set out for yourself yet. Uh, visiting that National Archives was just an absolute godsend for me. Oh, beautiful. I love that. Mm. I love that. So I can't wait to watch. I can't wait to watch Cyrano when it comes out, when it becomes Please available do. or when I can go back into the archives again. Gosh. Yeah, I hope that, uh, I mean, they're selling it now. They're the, you can you can pay it like it's a Netflix subscription thing, National Theatre, you can go watch their things, you pay money and you can see a whole bunch of sh shows. Um, I think the, the rules for the NT Archive are, it has to be something which was last uh, opened three months ago, so you can't have anything uh, earlier than three months, and there can't be another production worldwide which is currently accepting money for. Apart from that, you can watch whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and you know, when I was there, I was watching Rory Kinnear, I was a big fan of Rory Kinnear, Huge fan of Rory Kinnear and Kenneth Branagh when he was a youngster. Going, Kenneth Branagh doing uh, doing all these like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross type things, and you can watch Shakespeare. Of course, everyone watches the Sir Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen stuff. But why are all my heroes men? I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Maybe it's because I'm a man. I don't know. Well, I mean um, that makes sense. We yeah. look for role models, don't we? Like <clears throat> that directly that we can directly relate to. 
Um, yeah, but, for sure. I mean, for yeah, sure. that 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 was early days when I first moved over here that I was I was accessing the National Theatre Archive. I've been living down south uh, in the past twelve months, so I haven't been for a long time. But yeah. when you first moved over here, I I, I I love hearing about the show stuff, but I want to talk about the human stuff now. I want to talk about yeah, 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 yeah. I, I want to talk about the the journey and actually getting you on the plane and setting yourself up here and and any little op, um obstacles or or you know early day processes that you had to go through oh it was pretty fast um so, so you, being... did you have a job when you got on the plane to get over here or why did you decide to move over here i had to i had to i, I had to move because even though it was costing me a lot of money and i could have um and, and there was a lot of uncertainty in it. I, I left, my wife left a really, really great job uh, at, a, at a fantastic school, a place called Pimble Ladies College in Sydney. And it, it's, it's very lucrative and really hard to get job, the kind of job where people, you know, they, they retire in, right? Um, and I was, I was working, I was working, I, I had some great connections at some schools that I was working at. I could have, could have happily stayed and been financially happy in Australia for a long time, but I had to leave because there was something, I was unsatisfied. and. There was something inside. I had. I just had to know. I just got to know. Um, can I cut it with the world's best? Am I an idiot? Is my lack of after King and I? It was really, really difficult to get opportunities. Um, one because Australia has, is is much is a smaller market. Much smaller. But two because I didn't feel like I was getting um, getting the substantive auditions that I that I wanted to. And I, I you know, rightly or wrongly, I, I, I ascribed it largely to the production appetites around race in Australia. And th- those are echoed by a lot of actually writers right now who have noted that Australia has a significant history of, uh, of largely hiring Caucasian performers for their for, for, for theatre as well as for screen, um, which is, you know, an evolving conversation. That, and <laughs> I think I, it's, an it's not only a discussion around the state of theatre in Australia, but just uh, Australia in general considers itself a very multicultural country, which, you know, there's credit due there. But when you arrive in London, and for me, I moved into my land in East London in the early days. And, you know, at times when I would walk out my front door in the morning and like just to be very, very blunt about it here, like to, to look around and be the only white person on the street sometimes... That's great. I literally was like, wow, that. Australia's got nothing compared Good. to London. Good. You know, um, in Australia, 14% of people in the 2012 census identified as, uh, as being um, first generation or migrant from an Asian background. And over here, it's 1%. It's less than 1%. So, you know, for me, I felt a little bit, I felt a little bit more alienated. But anyway, you asked me, I'm not answering your question. Why did I come? No, I love it, I love I'm it. Because <laughs> I have to, I got to know. Yeah. I have to know if I'm going to go all in on my life, then at least I want to spend five years um, doing it. I want to be in the room where it happens, to quote Mr. Mr. Miranda. <laughs> uh, I want to know if, if I'm going to be rejected anyway, let me be rejected by the best. Let me understand why. Let me, let me figure all of this stuff out. Um, so, you know, we, we thought about this since, um, since King and I, Although, you know, I, I kind of do myself a disservice. I did get two contracts that didn't go ahead. I got Heal Eyes Love, and I got another run of The King, and I, I won the role as the, as the King outright wow. in a Singaporean production of The King and I. Where and it was scheduled, Rachel Beck was going to be my uh, Mrs. Anna, and uh, that didn't go in. Neither of those jobs went ahead because they were cancelled before rehearsal started. Anyway, right? Um, so I, you know, I got to come, got to come to London. Got to come to London. Yeah. Uh, did I have a job? Yes. I signed up with a with a teaching agency. They gave me a guaranteed work agreement before I left. So I set that up beforehand. Uh, by that stage, I had I just graduated my fourth degree. So a master's of teaching was my last degree. So you studied your teaching degree after your musical theatre degree then? Yeah. So it was, I got a Bachelor of Arts in Performance Studies and Education from Sydney Uni. Got a Diploma of Music Performance from... Um, the Australian International Con, which has changed their name now. Now they're like AMPA or something. Um, then I then I went to the Con, got my Bachelor of Music, uh, and then I did you know I finished that after after the King and I, and then my final degree was a Master's of Teaching in Music and Drama from Avondale College. And after uh, after I did that, got to move over, make just quit. <laughs> and may was, I ask? May I ask? Like, what made you feel you had to go and do that teaching degree? Was it you just wanted to set up? A side hustle for yourself you wanted to have that sort of career that would earn you money regardless of whether you were performing or not no that's a great that's a very interesting question i um i knew i knew i wanted to come to london 
and you wanted to come to London. And the entire time when I was taking my, I, I know, I also know that I'm a great teacher. I love teaching. I'm a really good teacher. Um, but the, the entire time I was doing my degree, I, it's normally a two-year program, but I fast-tracked it into one year. Um, the, the, that entire year, I was chafing at the bit because I knew that there were about seven other con kids in London right now, uh, and they're making they're, they're making moves and they're getting in audition rooms, and I should be doing that. And I'm wasting my time, and I'm so glad I did. I made the decision originally to go through my masters of teaching because I don't I don't want to be constrained by money um, in my pursuit of things. And anecdotally, my friends had given me a lot of information about their lives, and many of them had been working. Uh, they were working uh, retail or selling coffee or pulling beer, right? And they do it for something like ten pounds an hour, um, which is considered a very good wage for London. And they have to work six days a week to in order to make their rent work. And they're in a they're in such a setting where um, the, the, the man, I don't want to have to have arguments with my manager going, "Hey, man, um, you took a week, you took a day off last week. I can't have you take another day off now from this audition." Or I don't have enough money to pay for this workshop, which might help me. Or um, I think there's a process when you enter a new land, especially as a creative, where you're looking to find your team. And your team is full of people, it's, it's full of mentors, it's teachers, singing teachers, acting teachers. It's fine, full of the things that help you generate momentum. Maybe it's an acting class. Maybe it's a free thing that you do, like a script reading. Because you're looking, it takes time, because you have to find people who are just slightly above your level, who can help you grow. That's the process that takes a lot of time, and you've got to find allies. And that process takes time, and it costs you money. And I didn't want to be constrained by this feeling of, of having to do that. I know it's kind of... Uh, Especially when moving with a partner, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Will, my husband, also left a really, really good job back yes. in Brisbane. Probably the best job in his industry that he could have gotten at that stage. So there's that pressure of making it work for them as well and not... Uh, for me, for me, I've never wanted Will to feel like I was leeching off him, and vice versa. That's a very mutual relationship we have. We we try and approach our relationship with this sixty forty like kind of analogy, where we're tr always trying to give a little bit more than what we're taking from the other person. And I think that's a really great way to approach your finances as well. Is just trying to, as a performer especially, keep that money rolling in to sustain that life. You've not only have built for yourself over here but as a couple you've got to make it work as a couple over here and not feel like your pursuit of performance work is a drain on that energy and that life that you are trying to exactly create right. together you hit the nail on the head if you don't have a sustainable source of income and energy right if you can't take a day off in order to do an audition then immediately you've put a cap on yourself for how long you can stick it out and stay in the industry and keep working and making moves right if i'm if i'm completely I, I might be able to do one audition exhausted after an eight-hour shift or a 10-hour shift pulling beers. Can I do two? Can I do three? Can I do a month? Can I do two months? Do I put a limit on how, how prepared I can be for these auditions, which require you, I think. I think auditions require you to be at your best, um, to, to be at your most imaginative, to be your most empathy, because those, those are the fine things that you start losing. You immediately lose when you become too tired. And it really yeah. is just that. It's stress and tiredness. And and you know what? Those auditions require you to be your most relaxed as well. You don't do your best work when when you're stressed about where no. your next where your next paycheck's gonna come yeah. come from. You're not doing your best audition when every hope you have is is pinned on getting this job. But yes, you're absolutely right. I didn't want to have to face those things. I, I don't want to go into too much of the details with the with the money side, but as a, as a qualified teacher, um, the, the the pay rate is roughly two, it can be two and a half times to three times the daily rate of someone who is in retail or someone who is pulling uh, who is pulling beer. And you know, rightfully so, teaching is a uh, teaching is a very difficult profession here as well as in Australia. And requires it requires expertise, and it's been uh, it's been looked down upon by by uh, by the government here for a long time through lack of investment and. It's 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 so much behavior management is so much more difficult in this country, or it can be. Um, yeah. But yeah, apart from the practicalities, I'm lucky that I love being a teacher. <laughs> so you know, I, I made sure. And yeah, off you go. Sorry. Do you know what it's? It sounds like it sounds like you're not the only one who's benefited from you having skills as a teacher because then look at look at that work you've gotten to do with Cyrano, where all of a sudden you weren't on stage anymore. You're actually working with with kids. 
yeah. of of school age in like a workshop yes. setting. I mean, what a what a blessing for them as the production company and the directors to have you on board, not only as a performer but as someone who's passionate and really well trained now as a teacher. No, it's my that, that that's not there. That's my honor, my honor, my honor entirely. We did all of that that for free. Um, but I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. In fact, I put my hand up to do that for Frozen, actually, to get out and help. I think, um, I, 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 whether or not this is like big-headed of me, I think that as a, as a, the only thing that differentiates an actor, right, from anyone else is that they should, they've spent a little bit more time thinking about the human condition. That's all. They're not, they're not special. I think that there is also an element of education, right? The only reason you go to see the theater is to ask an answer for yourself these harder hitting questions related to who you are and what you want out of life. And, and, and wrapped up in that, I think, is, I think that's the same idea that good teachers have for their students. Who are you? What do you want out of life? I, I frequently say to these primary kids who yell and scream and say, Mr. Fung, why, why are you bothering me, hey? Go deal with that guy. That guy's not doing any work. Why, why, are, you trying, why are you hassling me to get this work done? I, I say the same thing, which is it kind of doesn't matter doesn't matter what the subject is you're not here to learn science you're not here to learn maths instead you're here to learn how to how to take information in you're here to learn how to discipline your brain you're here to learn these larger things which are going to help you along your path wherever you want to go it's learning adaptability it's learning how to survive and flourish in a system if you have to work in a system it's not about i am bigger than you i'm better than you do my work now it's about if you don't learn these skills with me now and there's a safe space for you to fail you're gonna you're gonna hurt yourself you're gonna you're gonna miss out. You might not understand that yet, so just trust me. Stay with me, and I'll try to do it as in, in as happy way as possible. Yeah, I'm being a bit too big headed <laughs> now, but I think there's something. No, I love it. We're getting very very philosophical, not yeah. big headed at all. And do you know what? Do you know what? Something I love about teaching. I've worked um, a lot with with very very young children. I yes. did early years studies yes. before I came into my musical theatre degree. Um, and I've continued to fall back on that since moving over here, working in schools and as a nanny occasionally. I sometimes prefer just working privately for people because I like the flexibility that comes with that. Um, but something I love about working as a teacher or working with children as an actor is that you you also just get to observe human beings in a really, really interesting way. Like to, you know, not in a not in a creepy way, but just like to observe children and their behavior and the way that they function without the pressure of adulthood on them, I think is really, really fascinating. It's so honest. They're emotionally so much so more honest, honest than, we, than we as adults are because we, as adults, and I'm talking, speaking really generally, we, we learn to censor ourselves. I remember Andrew Corey, um, the, the clown, um, he trained at Lecoq. Um, no, did train at Collier, and he did. He ran a whole bunch of workshops at the Queensland Con, and he he had this thing that he always said, which was beautiful, and it stuck with me ever since. Which is that um, we, you know, every day we have we have an emotional range, and that emotional range is capped. It's got capped at both ends. And if you have a great coffee, fantastic, yeah, a great coffee. And if you stub your toe, ah, oh, it's kind of it's, it's only other way. But children, children and clowns and actors. Their job is to extend that emotional range. Your highs are no longer, yeah, they're freaking, they're, it's incredible. And your lows are not just, ah, oh, I stubbed my toe. It's the, this is the worst thing that has ever happened to a human in the entire history of mankind. And it's, um, it's, it's that, that exploration. I think, you, I think you're so right. Children don't, it's high stakes for them, right? But it's honest and it's fast. And like learning, uh, you know, it's so interesting watching the kids go through that period of when they when they decide to learn how to lie, or when they decide to learn how to how to hide or censor themselves as well. Which hopefully I teach them to do. We teach them to do in a uh, in, in in a lovely mm. way. It's part of the hidden curriculum. It's not on the formal curriculum, but it's just as important. And it goes in the world of ethics and communication and being a human. I'm interested in. That's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm most interested in, both as an actor and as a teacher. But yeah, so, you know, back to the original question. Yeah, I did come over here with job already. I didn't have an agent, no connections whatsoever. I had a couple of con friends uh, ahead of me who were all telling me stories about how difficult it was to get an agent. Uh, from Australia, I applied for Hamilton Open Calls. And in my second week here, I had an audition for Hamilton. Um, uh, I was speaking to people like Lucy Clough, who, um, who put me onto this thing called The Other Palace. They run a masterclass series where once a month, you get to, to pay five pounds. To watch, to watch a masterclass with some of these like Olivier and Tony award-winning actors. And if you want, with, along with your five pounds, you can submit to, a, to be part of those masterclasses. 
And if you do, you get workshop through the entire day. If you get chosen, you workshop through the entire day. And at nighttime, you have you're on the other palace stage, you're on the main stage, and you can invite people to come hear you sing. So in my second week, I, I got this audition for Hamilton. In my third week, I got a recall for um, for the track of of, of Washington Burr. It was a, it was an ensemble swing track, I guess. And they had like they had me learn like one million. So I sent an email off, and oh, in the previous couple of weeks, I'd, I'd hooked up with Ben Chambers and asked him to help me film a singing reel, and I got like headshots done. So I sent off this email with my headshots, my show reel, going, "Hey, I'm in callbacks for Hamilton. I'm unrepresented. I'm looking for representation. Would you be interested? Or if you want to hear me sing, you can hear me sing at this masterclass thing, and be happy to get you a ticket if you'd like." And I sent that email off to a bunch of agents, um, to twenty agents, and I got five set, set five off me a meeting and. And, and I ended up, but only one of them made it out to come see me sing. And it was completely, the story that I'd heard from all these other con, my other con friends was, we sent off 100 emails and I got no replies. Or I sent off 70 emails and I got one meeting and they rejected me. Um, so completely contrary to my expectations. And I like, it's, I can only, I can only attribute it to luck. How else could, how else, and then the agent that I went with, um, Williamson and Charlotte Watts of Williamson and Holmes. She's 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 phenomenal. What a genius! What a fantastic, phenomenal person. Well, I mean, you say you say that there's an element of luck in all of this, and it's one of the beautiful things about our industry is that there's there is so much luck involved with with landing opportunities. But I I think it's a credit to you, Chris, that you're not that you've not been still at all since moving over here you're not relying on that luck you're not you're not sitting there waiting on these opportunities you've constantly got this life happening in the background for yourself with with work as a teacher and not just sitting there emailing people but actually attending events and and opportunities that are going to allow you to sell yourself and approach people in a slightly different way than just being behind a keyboard sending out emails so I don't think, by the sounds, to, to me, it sounds like there's more than, there's been a lot more than just luck involved with things. Mind you, I have to say, though, landing an audition for Hamilton within a couple of weeks. So, like, that's just, that's just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's an old adage that, you know, um, luck is preparation meets skill. Or what is it? No, um, opportunity. Opportunity is preparation meets luck. I don't know, some some kind of combination of all three things. Um, I don't. I get yelled at by a lot of my friends who say, who, who who say, "Hey, mate, you're you're not just lucky. It's it's and, and I can't I can't I cannot say that there is that, that it is fundamental. I think it's a combination, but I can't say that it's fundamentally skill because undoubtedly I've had a lot of opportunity in the in the past couple of years, and I know I know for a fact deep in my bones that it's not because I've got more skill than my fellow Queensland con people who've come over here. I, I would very happily say that people like Natasha Veselinovich and Madison Green and Lucy Clark have so much more talent than me. And I can say that because I was their, I was their I was their classmate. Um, holy cow! Have you ever heard Natasha Veselinovich sing? Have you heard oh, her man. sing? Of have course. You? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What yeah, a yeah. She, what a do voice. you know what? She was actually. Um, it's so funny. We talked about how our our years of being at the con crossed over your year was the year that graduated just before I began yeah. so these people that you're talking about were actually like I, I idols for me when I came into the course because when I'd gotten accepted into the course I came and saw Into the Woods yeah. which was the final year production for your year group Natasha yeah, yeah, yeah. was the which as was Lucy as well I know they shared yes. that role but these people that you're talking about um I hope to get some of them on the podcast, actually. In that, fact, yeah, yeah. It, it, I was going to ask you, I'm going to start a new thing at the end of each pod uh, where I ask you to, uh, or my guest rather, to nominate someone that I should get on here. Who would you nominate oh, for mate, me to um, interview on the pod? My, my year, my year from the Queensland, even though I didn't graduate with them, I still feel like they're my year because you know, they're so much a part of my life and my growth. Even though it was just just a short two years, but my year was ridiculously overrepresented in terms of their professional opportunities. We had what, like 30, 30 kids total. Something like twenty of us have had have had a big uh, a big professional commercial job. 20, 20 out of thirty. That's unheard of. 
you know, and we're, we're, we're what? It's 2021 now. They graduated, what, 2014? It's been seven years or so. So, you know, they've, they've got like big international jobs. Jack Mack, um, uh, Anthony Craig, Lauren Jimison, Natasha, Georgie Hobson was going to, you know, she, she won the best, the Green Room Best Musical Theatre Performer Award. She shared it with Anthony Warlow. What in the world? Have you heard Georgie Hobson sing? Ridiculous! What a ridiculous voice! And it, it, it just—it just feels like all the women are doing so well. So G. Hobson is probably the most celebrated person. Dominic Woodhead is the associate MD um, for Frozen. He's my—he was a groomsman at my wedding. Little Dom. He started playing piano in our first year. You know, and that guy is a musical musical genius. And um, and and I think so much of it. Is, uh, is what he owes to Anthony Young, who is, is basically like an older version of Dom. No, 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 Dom modeled himself off, off, uh, off Anthony. Have you met Anthony Young? He's a fantastic educator. I haven't, met An- I haven't met Anthony, but I've worked with Dom quite a bit. I've shared many a pint with Dom. Dom and, um, is... he was my He was my MD for my my couple of shows at the end of my course. So, uh, what a lucky yeah, girl Dom you are to work with them. Dom. Nah, Dominic Woodhead. Lachlan, Lachlan Neat is currently in Australia's number one Viking death metal band. He's he's kind of thrown musical theatre aside and become a super specialist, and it's so fantastic watching him do his thing. Um, and it's not just from the musical theatre world, too. Marita, um, Marita is... Uh, Marita Rigby, um, whose, whose sister Grace Rigby was also uh, at the con maybe in your year. Marita has gone off into the corporate world after doing a couple of cruise ship um, gigs and ma- snagging an incredibly beautiful man called Barnaby. And now she's she's like in line to be one of the youngest Australian CEOs of this company called Findex or Findex. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you know Marita's fantastic too. Like, the, why why, are, why is everyone so female oriented? Then there's you know there's. There's Jonathan Hickey from my year as well. Jonathan there's just Hickey. more of us in the industry. There's just more guess, women yeah, in the industry in general, so. I think. John O'Hickey has has had a massive career on his in, in his own rights, and uh, he, uh, he, that guy that guy's such a champion, and he's such a hustler. He he did a couple. He led a couple of shows at the Hayes Theatre. There's um there, there's Thomas Davis who was in Book of Mormon with uh with with your good mate Alex Woodward. Like our year was kind of just, and I'm you know I'm missing a whole bunch of people too, like Ruby Clark, who is one of the one of the best photographers, getting gaining reputation as one of the best photographers and, and and actor people, and she's so stunning in um in not only Brisbane but I've been in Australia. Like pick your, you know, take a pick. Our year oh, is full, okay. and you know Jack Mack has gone into the street. He's turned his back on singing. He wants to be a straight actor. He's doing stuff for La Boite and Queensland Theatre Company, and he's going to be. He's gonna be um, he's gonna be international, you know. Jack Mack have got so much. He was our king. Every year the con has a king or a queen, someone who's you know pretty much seen as the best actor. And some years it's uh, some years it's it's uh, it's it's model. for us. Jack Mack was clearly our king. He was one million percent our king. A man worthy of 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 everyone's admiration for a reason. You know, he's he's quite a beautiful actor. Um, and you know the list. I'm, there, I'm sure there are people I'm missing, but the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> our year was our year's really, really well represented in in terms of people I who think, work professionally. Do you know what, Chris? I think it's just a huge credit to you the fact that I've come on to host a whole hour of talking to you about your career and what you've done that's worked for you. And we've probably spent about a third of the chat just talking about other people and all of the wonderful people <laughs> that you look up to and you want to talk. I think that's just an absolute credit to you, sir, oh. and the way you network and the way you approach your relationships in and out of work and and just how important that is as a, as a human being. I was about to say as a performer, but as a human being to just foster friendship and foster, foster interest in what your peers are up to because what goes around comes around. And at the end of the day, careers aside, you know, it's those decent people that we want in our lives and uh, that are bringing us the most value. And I, we're coming up to the hour now, Chris. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start wrapping things up, unfortunately, because I could just natter on with you for hours. Maybe we'll do a part two someday and I'll pick your brains about something else. Um, but uh, before we finish off, have you got any like little, I mean, there's been millions, but one final pearl of wisdom that you can leave for our listeners on anyone who's thinking of uprooting their life from Australia and moving over here to London? Um, um, I, I would just say ambition's great. Ambition's fantastic. But ambition on its own is just flailing around. 
uh, if you want to make something work, if you if you want, if you truly aspire to this ambitious belief that I'm going to be a professional musical theater, what you're saying, what you're a professional performer, what you're saying is that I'm going to be at a level where I can take jobs away from the people who are currently getting work. And if you're going to say that, I think you should understand what your ambition costs. And sometimes it's an abstract thing. Sometimes it's about, well, it's always an abstract thing. What is this ladder that you have to climb? What do you have to do? Undoubtedly, undoubtedly, there are so many different costs that a lot of people uh, underestimate. Things like, how much money do I need in a week? Um, how, do I, how do I fulfill the, the uh, how, do I op- how do I refill my spiritual well? How do I make sure that I'm happy and sustained and I'm doing things in, a, in the right way? What is the right way? This networking word, which you just said, is it, for me, for years, it was a dirty word. It was a dirty word. Networking means you're sweaty and you're nervous. You're talking to a casting director at, a, at an opening night thing. And you're going, hey, uh, cast me. And you, you, have this, like, you have this thing, maybe you experience a showcase where you've got people like, uh, getting, get, getting in the way of each other conversationally because they, they need a sparkle. It's time for me to sparkle. And so the abstract question becomes, how do you do networking in a way that makes sense to you that is honorable? That is that is that is beautiful. That is that is um, that requires a little bit more, um, a little bit more sacrifice. So you know that in a nutshell, I would say ambition's great. Ambition is fantastic. Tempered ambition is what gets stuff done. Understand the costs. Understand where you want to go and break it down. Understand what you want and how. How are you going to get there? Because even if it's abstract, there are reasons why the for you there are reasons why the better podcasts are better the um there are reasons why certain people uh with who who haven't studied here in the uk are getting agents now there are better there are better applications for to get an agent there are better singing reels there are better there are better acting reels there are um there are there are other higher there are higher quality you know quote unquote higher quality um things that you can do that will build you momentum as an actor as a performer as a human as a human, what are the things that will build mm-hmm. you momentum as a human? And not, and everything is not about work. <laughs> you know, you got to find a way to be a human. And you just used a word there that's really actually come onto my radar again recently, which is that you can outwork people. You don't have to be the most talented, the most experienced, even the most charismatic person in the room. But if you can outwork someone, if you can put your nose to the grindstone and study that little bit more or in, in, or develop yourself in the ways that are going to help you succeed other than just, you know, the necessary skills, I think, yeah, there's, there's something to be said for just outworking people as well. I believe that. I don't think, in terms of talent, I, th- I, I don't think that I'm particularly talented. I think that I'm lucky. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky. I think that I'm lucky and that I work hard. That's that's pretty much it. Um, but yes, you're right. And that's not just about. There's so many things that you can work hard at. How do you how do you take this work hard idea and how do you make it a joyful thing? How can you make changing your body a joyful thing? How can you make um, uh, working through the singing thing and paying paying like fifty pounds an hour, seventy pounds an hour a week to these singing lessons? How can you make that feel joyful rather than a huge sacrifice? That was that's something that I struggled with for years and years before I realized. Um, that my issue wasn't with how much I was paying. My issue was with how much I was earning um, and, and how much I was happy to invest. And now, now if you told me, hey, Chris, right, give me your bank account, give me all of the money in your bank account, and I will progress your career, I will make that choice one, 100% of the time. Whereas before, like, and that is my own hang up about you know, money. It's the question of how, how all in are you? What do you want? What are the things that you want? Yeah, that's that's my fault. Yeah, I, I didn't answer your question. I didn't answer your question. But that's it. No, that's I it. love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, yeah, I think not just what do you spend, but what do you earn from things. And I've definitely earned uh, a world of a world of greatness from this chat today, Chris. Thank you. Oh. And I hope I've now earned a new contact that I can call upon again here in London. You're not yeah, seeing sure. the end of me here, Chris Fong. I'm going to meet you in person one day when when Corona finally allows us to leave our house. And I can't wait to uh, physically connect with the circle of people that are going to be on this podcast over here in the UK, because there's so many of us here from from 
uh, from Oz. And I mean, the pod's not going to just focus on people who have made that journey. I've got an interview coming up with a friend from Kansas in the States who's moved to Brisbane. So she's had a really, really different journey. Um, But, you know, for those of us who I'm talking to here uh, on this side of the world, I can't wait for us to all connect in person one day we'll have a little pursuit pursuit pod party just to (laughs) seal the deal anything i can do thank you oh well thank you chris it's just it's been an absolute absolute experience i've really loved talking to you the pleasure is all mine (laughs) thank you for having me on lauren thank you chris wow What a guy. And what a career so far. I can't wait to see Frozen once the West End recovers from COVID. And I just genuinely can't wait to watch where this man goes next. I think it's just one of the most inspiring things you can do to talk to or observe someone who is an expert in their field, in whatever industry. I loved all facets of this conversation, but my heart swelled when we broached the topic of teaching and working with children, because this is something that is very obviously important to Chris. He's the kind of teacher I wish I'd have had at school. It reminded me of how creatively minded people can be so engaging and really make for excellent educators. And although it's not for everybody, it does take a particular passion and love for learning to maintain a career as a teacher. But I just thought I'd take this second to salute any of the performers out there who are working in schools, teaching in studios or caring and educating children in any capacity. Sharing your colourful personalities and creativity with the next generation is truly honourable work. And as Chris has proof, you don't need to sacrifice one profession to also pursue another. But for now, I'm signing off. For any loyal listeners who uh, may have noticed that our theme tune has had a bit of a makeover, I just want to give a shout out to my wonderful friend and Brisbane artist, Alex Smith, for sorting out my sweet new tunes and for making me look so profesh with my fancy customized cover art. Thanks, Alex. Go check him out and support his work on Insta at your man, Alex Smith. And in the meantime, folks, thanks for listening. Stay safe, stay sane, and pursue your dreams. Anything is possible. You just got to take that first step. Till next time.